And I do realize that uh, last week I went through Acts chapter 7, 1 through 8, but I'm going to go through that same passage again this morning. Because, uh, as, as I went uh, last week from 6, 8 uh, through 7, 1, verse 8, it, it, there's a lot there that, that needs to be fully sort of developed. So if you need a Bible... My wife is back there with one if you don't have one in your hand so that you can follow along. And um, I do suggest that if you are, uh, if you haven't normally been a note taker, that maybe today might be a day to jot a couple things down because um, we're going to travel a bit in the the Bible. Um, We're going to travel a few places back and forth. And so it might be good for you to maybe jot those things down. That, that for um, a later time you can uh, look them up and check up on this guy, um, I would encourage you to do that, to make sure that what I'm telling you is what God is telling you. And so, um, yeah, it might be good to jot a couple of these things down because we're going to travel a little bit um, through there. Before we get started in that, there's a couple of, just a couple housekeeping things that I would like us to do. One is that Bob uh, Summers had uh, a bit of heart uh, trouble on Monday. Um, he had some angina that woke him up in the middle of the night. And uh, Miss Myrna is very thankful that the pain came and woke him up. Because the doctor said had it just sort of gone, he, he would be home with Jesus right now. Not that that's such a bad thing. <laughs> that, that is a great thing. But uh, that she gets to have him around a little bit longer. So... Um, I'd like to pray for uh, Bob and Myrna. And, you know, at his age, at 88 years old, the doctors aren't going to do a whole lot uh, except to keep him comfortable, you know, uh, while he waits for Jesus to call him home. So, um, but to pray for that family too, because uh, I can imagine that after 63 years of marriage, I believe that's how long they've been married, that um, 63 years, your partner is pretty much you. <laughs> and so what, what happens to one happens to the other, and uh, so that can be a pretty tough thing. And then um, my friend Miss Carolyn here has a birthday today, so if you see her before we go, if you can just wish her happy birthday. Oh, it looks like um, Sandy says that Larry has a birthday too, so um, Larry Myrick, so we might wish him happy birthday too. Um, so let's pray for Bob and Myrna, and then let's hear from the Word of God. Lord God, we thank you so much for our dear friends and wonderful saints, Bob and Myrna Summers. And we know that that you have um, used them mightily in the ministry uh, of your word and in loving people as Jesus would. So I pray that um, in this time that you would uh, comfort them, give uh, Myrna rest so that she can uh, care for Bob when he needs it, um, strengthen her in her inner person. Help her to, to seek after you for that strength. Um, and Lord, just uh, just protect them and be with them. And uh, we are thankful for who you are, that you are the great healer, that you are the great physician. And that also, that um, this life is not all there is. And that um, you have an eternal resting place for us. And so we are thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, um, as I did last week, and I would like to do that again. Let's... Oh, yes. Good. Uh, I didn't know what you had in your hand. I can't, 
I can't see that far. I'm kind of getting older, you know. Um, yeah, if you if you need a pen, uh, Mr. Bernstein has one there for you that you can kind of jot a couple things down. Um, that'd be good. Um, as we did last week too, I'd like to do this again. Is let's just take a few seconds to silence our hearts and our minds, and and prepare to have the Word of God speak to us, because in this time is when. The eternal God, the eternal God meets with our present reality. That's what that's what worship is. So let's let's just quiet ourselves and then we will hear from the word of God. Well, thanks be to God. Let's hear uh, from his word. I'm going to read uh, chapter seven, verse one through eight, and then. We will kind of dive in and see all that that God has for us through this. And there's a lot uh, there to see. Uh, So chapter 7, verse 1 of the book of Acts. Uh, I know you don't have the same Bible as me, but it's on page 1102 in mine. I don't know if that helps. um, And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. This is the word of God. And thanks be to God. So, as, as uh, we talked about a little bit um, about this last week, that there's, in chapter 7, there's a historical uh, presentation going on about the history of Israel. And so, sometimes you might go, well, so what? I mean, you know, that, that's the history of Israel. Um, there are multiple overlapping parallels between the history of Israel and the history of humanity generally. There's some truths that we can see. And then there's some specific applications that we can look at that say, you know, the church sort of parallels the same pattern of behavior that the Israelis did, that that Jewish folks did in that time. Oftentimes, you can look at scripture sometimes and you can go, well, how is it that they just didn't see it? You know, you look at it and you say, it seems so apparent to me that, that, that they ought to have seen Jesus as who he is, and they ought to have been able to follow him, and they ought to have just seen the great glory that, uh, of who he is. How could they not see it? How could they just not get it? Well, I'm here to tell you that I look at my life and think about all the things that God has clearly shown me, and sometimes I just didn't get it. It would seem so apparent. Uh, as, as now I am walk with the person of Jesus and I look back on stuff and I go, I just didn't get it. It was right there in front of me and I just didn't see it. And we're going to see that that pattern 
is true of the church still today. Um, this, this pattern is not something that, that says that uh, the Jews just got it all wrong. No. Sin makes us get it all wrong. It helps us, it, it, it hinders us from seeing all that God is. And as I look at this chapter again, I want to tell you that the overarching theme and the overarching scene that I got from it was that God is worthy to be glorified. That God deserves glory. That God is glorious. That the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is glorious. It is amazing. The assurance of God's faithfulness, as we sang, is glorious. It is something that is not uh, glorious in ourselves, but it's something that is worthy of praise to the God who saved you and me. It's all about God's glory. It's all about the person of Jesus Christ and how that person's salvation for us brings great glory and honor to God the Father. That is an amazing truth. And so I see this in the scripture. So what I wanted to do is I sort of had this, um, <laughs> this inclination um, way back at the end of last week. And I was talking to Heather about this. And I said, you know what I want to do is I want to just give a framework for the whole chapter of chapter 7. And maybe kind of not go through the details. But just to kind of frame it out and then move forward. Because this text really starts in 6.8 and goes all the way into portions of chapter 8. Like th this same thing, and we could get lost in what it is that it's, it's speaking about contextually by taking its parts each week. And that I would end at verse 8 and begin, like say next week in verse 9, and I would miss out on the context and preach a message separate from the first part to the second part and the third part and fourth part. And then, as I was sitting there talking it through with another brother here, uh, Joe and I were just discussing this, and I went, no. I feel like I'm cheating. I feel like I would be cheating the Word of God. So you're going to hear me for the next six weeks um, repeat a certain portion that I'm going to say right now, because it's, we, we've got to have that context as we're looking at this whole text. And we're going to break it down in pieces, but... Um, a reminder of the framework because I have discovered that the key to learning is repetition. And to say it another way, repetition is the key to learning. So we have to repeat things often to get it. As we see that Israel had a lot of things repeated to them over and over again in order to get it. And I think that, that it can be said sometimes that we, we go back to the simplicity of telling the truth of the gospel again and again and again. It's because we don't get it. It's because I, personally, am slow of learning and hard of hearing sometimes. And I need this thing to be repeated to me again and again and again so that I can trust in the glory and goodness of who God is for me. So all of that is to say that I'm going to give you a big framework and then we're going to kind of dive in. So, as I read through this, I, I uncover this, that under the authority of Scripture alone, salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen. And that glory is expanding, forever expanding. And it has been expanding since the Garden of Eden. 
there, there was a particular way that that was to expand, and sin came in, and the expansion of how that glory of God expanded sort of changed. And we're going to see that, that, that it wasn't because of God wasn't good. It was because we sinned, right? So we're going to see that. And so when we look back at our glorious beginning in Eden, you know, Eden was meant for us to expand the glory of God. And it was meant to expand the glory of God by human flourishing. Do we understand that? That God is all about our human flourishing. We were designed and created to flourish, to grow, to expand. Not for our own self and not for our own glory, but for His. It was His aim that we would flourish because in our flourishing, God would be glorified. As we flourish and we get we get better, stronger, that as we follow closer to Christ, you and I don't get glorified. You and I don't get the prize. It's not that we are prized for having followed so closely to God. It's not that we are prized because God has revealed himself to us. It is that God is glorified in our flourishing. That was the aim and intent in the Garden of Eden. And as he created man, what did he say? He he looked upon us and said, it is good. It is very good. Right? It is very good that I created these people that would glorify my name. That would expand the kingdom of God. That he would have been forever in relationship with them. And it wasn't that they would have left the garden and it, the garden would have just grown and expanded to cover the whole earth to glorify who God is. That was, that was God's aim for us. That is a glorious beginning. And this human flourishing under the authority, it, there's, a, there's an important piece, is that our human flourishing, it only happens underneath the authority and love of God. We do not flourish without Him. We do not. We have to come underneath the authority of God. Submission. To the authority of God. We come underneath his authority. And in his love. He uses us. And demonstrates his glory. And it's the express purpose of who God is. Is to take us. And in our humanness. Is to flourish us. To grow us up. To be flourishing people. Who are about exalting God. And God alone. That's really a simple thing. We could stop right there because that's, you know, that'll preach, right? Right there. That, that, that is, is a truth, I believe, that we can really hang on to. I would like us to flip now to Genesis 1 because um, I do want to look at the intention of God. I want you to see that the Word of God says what I just said, that you're not going to take my word for it, that the Word of God does indeed say that. In Genesis 1... In verse 28, this will show the intent of human flourishing to expand the glory of God and to have expanded the kingdom of God. In chapter 1, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That describes human flourishing, doesn't it? 
That describes the expansion of what it is that humans were created to do. is to be fruitful, to multiply the kingdom under the authority of God and in his love and in loving, close relationship with God. But I want us to see that as we look further, if we look at, at Genesis 3 and look at verse 23 with me, we can see what happened when sin came in. We can see what that sin did to our, one, our human flourishing, and then what it did to the expansion of the Garden of Eden. It says here, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to the guard, uh, the, to guard the way up to the tree of life. See, that day that Adam and Eve sinned, see, all that land that should have been subdued and overcome, it should have been overcome by the Garden of Eden's expansion. But now, because of sin, they were meant to, they were, now they have to toil and they have to work. And here's the thing that we're going to see in this text in um, Acts 7. That it was the plan then of God that that our home, our place, our real place of dwelling is under the authority of God, in the love of God, in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, with Him. That is the purpose of what humankind was created to do. Now, Adam and Eve, as they are now out of the Garden, are sojourners. They don't, they're in a land that, that, that they don't belong in. That is not their home. It was not intended to be their home. And you see that then God, you know, as we, we see um, pictures time and time again of the law being brought to Israel. The law was brought to Israel for the purpose of this. That, that they are out in a land that is not their own. They're sojourners in a land that doesn't belong to them. That is not their world. That is not their home. They were to live under the authority and the love of God in a grace relationship. But because they were in a foreign land, he said, this will help lead to your human flourishing. This will, this is a way for me to communicate to you what is best for humankind. That, that law of God is good. The law of God is good and perfect and meant for our human flourishing. Sometimes, you know, I can think about times when, when I, I, as I've talked about for the past couple of weeks, that you come across scripture sometimes and it, it sort of bugs you. You, you kind of, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I don't necessarily like that because now that I have been confronted with this truth, there's something in me that must change, right? Well, if we think about it in a different way, if we think about it in that way, that, that all of the word of God is really meant for our human flourishing. That all of the law of God is meant to cause us to flourish and cause us to glorify him. So if I were to outline this whole chapter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nutshell this for us in a, in a few sentences here. So if we look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, we see that God's glory is expanded through Abraham by moving him out of his familiar homeland and away from the familiarity of his family. 
as again a sojourner such as Adam and Eve were. Same pattern, just a different picture. Uh, verses 6 through 7, God gave Israel no land to possess, that they might find their dwelling place in God alone and to the glory of God alone. Understand that, that if we have no dwelling place and this is not our home, what is the point of church? The point of church is this, that we would find our dwelling place in God. That we would find everything that we glorify is in Him. Everything that glorifies who He is, it's about us in relationship with Him. That's where we would find our dwelling places in Him. Verse 8, God put His mark on Abraham and his descendants that they might glorify God in the world. Again, that was the whole point of circumcision, was that I marked you out for my glory. I set you aside for that purpose, which was to glorify me. That's the whole purpose in our sojourning, in our traveling. Can you see that as a church, the parallel? Can you see that as the church is called the called out ones, that that's the point? That that's the whole point? That he called us out? That he made a mark on your life and your heart. He made a mark on you. To set you apart. To set you aside. For what purpose? Only for his glory. And, and, and as we live a life that is to the glory of God. Here's the, the wonderful byproduct of that. It leads to our human flourishing. In this life. That's amazing. That is an amazing God. That is a, a glorious, gracious and good God, is it not? That his intent for his glory is not that he's this God that needs like his ego fed. It's that, that, that in our glory of him, it leads to our human flourishing. I love that truth about God. I love that truth that is peppered throughout the whole scriptures. Everywhere you look, you see it. If we looked at verse 9 through 50... We would see, and we will see in the coming weeks, a history of affliction that's marked by blessing and direct intervention from God. And this direct intervention from God is through the very one that these Jews, they now held dear. They held, they, they held on dearly and tightly to Moses. They held on dearly and tightly to the law of God that was given to them. And that, that this, this law that was given, this Moses that was given, was a direct intervention and a blessing from God to lead to their human flourishing. And they rejected both of them. They rejected both of them. And in the same way, right, that, that God sent Jesus Christ to be a propitiation for our sin. And yet, we reject him. We come up against it because it makes us a bit uncomfortable because it makes us then say that we are not the end-all be-all of creation, that we aren't the end of God's purpose, that God is the end of his purpose, that not it's not us. And so why is the reason, as I look at this, that, that the Israelites, the Jews, would have rejected that which God gave to them for their human flourishing is that these people reject this for other gods, for selfish comfort, and for selfish gain. In other words, the rejection of God's glory and his truth, it is the very thing that they have just accused Stephen of. The very thing that this whole history paints out is the thing that they've done. Rejected God, rejected his law, 
reject his glory, said that they hung on to that, and then they turned it around and accused Stephen of it. And Stephen begins this chapter by saying this. He says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And he starts out with, that's the purpose of what it is that I'm intending to talk about. And then if you look back at chapter 6 and you saw that they gazed at him, all who sat in the council and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He had glowed. He had been in the presence of the glory of God. And now he was about to communicate the glory of God. This history of Israel is communicating the glory of God and that his great grace amidst the people who reject him. Time and time again, those who see the law and know that it is good and they say that they are underneath it, even they reject that which they hold on to as true. Right. And I think about the parallels that go along with that in the church as well, is that we hang on to some truths about the gospel. We hang on to the gospel, we hang on to the word of God. And we might publicly proclaim that this is the thing that we hang on to. And yet. Time and time again, by our very lives, we reject the truth that we say we hold on to. We reject the Jesus that we say we are in relationship with. We do it. We do it time and time again. All of us are guilty of that. But to God's great glory, to God's great glory, He has mercy. He has long-suffering, patient kindness with us as he walks us through this road of our human flourishing. He takes us right where we're at and says to us, brothers and sisters, I realize that you are a stiff-necked people. I realize that you are uncircumcised in heart. I get that. If you would just repent, I have human flourishing for you. I have a design for human flourishing for you. And in your weakness, in your weakness, that you could not flourish upon your own, that you could not follow what it is that I have for you, I sent my son, Jesus Christ, who is the epitome of human flourishing on earth, who is submitted fully to the will of God. I sent him on your behalf to pay a price that you couldn't pay. Because if you surrender your life to him, guess what? You again... It is leading you to human flourishing. That that is God's intent. And in our flourishing then we are just to praise God. We are just to praise God for who he is. So if you remember as I talked about the pattern. The outline um, uh, of the, the pattern of the book of Acts. You can see that same pattern in chapter 7 all by itself. It's the full pattern of there's a leader that emerges to preach the gospel. A Holy Spirit powered in listen, uh, listeners hear the gospel and are converted. Then persecution comes. Affliction, as it says in this text, right? Affliction, persecution comes. God intervenes. And when God intervenes, the witness expands. And as we look at this, the glory of God, right? Think about this. That as these things come against us, and then God intervenes, and then we tell his story about God's intervention in our lives, about how God took us from this place of persecution, this place of affliction, and he met us right there, and he showed us grace and mercy and kindness, and he led us through it. He didn't maybe take away circumstances from us, from us, that the hard stuff, we lived in it. But when we came out of it, we could see and understand God's great grace and his great mercy for us. It, led, it led, leads us to even more human flourishing and therefore 
All glory belongs to God and to God alone. All glory belongs to God and God alone. So, my question this morning for us and for me has been this, and I've wrestled with this all week. So, you guys know that when I'm going to, I always ask you guys to wrestle with stuff. Understand this, I've wrestled with, with it first. And then I ask you guys to wrestle with it with me. That's how we get sort of unity, right? Is, do we find our treasure in the glory of God? That was my question to myself. Do I find my treasure in God's glory? Or do I find my treasure in our place, the place we live, in our surroundings? Or do I find my glory in position? Do we find our glory in the positions that God has put us in? Uh, or places of position we'd like to go to? It, are those the things that we glorify in? Do we glorify in our talents? Do we glorify in our ambitions? That's the one that I have a hard time with. That's the one that I get caught up in as ambition. I'm an ambitious person. I, I, I set serious goals for myself and I get caught up in my ambition. Right? And I glory in it sometimes. I, I glory in my ambition and my hard work. And I started thinking about this, this this week. Why do I do that? Is it because I really am glorying in my own magnification? I want to magnify myself. I want to glorify myself. I don't necessarily want to glorify God. I'm trying to glorify me. Right? So as I ask that question of you, I say I need God's grace in that. I need God's grace to, to for me to clearly see that it is God and God alone that needs to be glorified, that deser is deserving of God's glory. So let's um, look at um, what Stephen does here in, in 1 through 3. So, and the, and the high priest are, said, are those things so? That is, the things that they were accusing him of. That is, they were accusing him of changing the customs of Moses and rejecting the law and rejecting the temple. And the high priest says, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to Abraham, our father, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. You see, that Stephen emphasizes God's glory to give us a picture of the purposes of God in our salvation, in our affliction, and in our aimless wanderings. Even in our aimless wanderings, God is glorified and to be glorified. So, if you would flip with me to Isaiah, uh, chapter 48. Because I want us to see that, that even in our disobedience, even in our aimless wanderings, that it is God's desire and has been that, that our lives would be honoring and glorifying to Him. That, that it is God's glory and that He will use even our aimless wanderings, He will use even our mistakes, even our shortcomings and our sin to bring Him glory. He will be glorified. There is no doubt. You cannot stop. I believe that that is, is, is assurance of our salvation, isn't it? I, I think that's assurance of our salvation. God says that no matter what, I will be glorified. I cannot be denied. That is a God that I want to serve. That is a God who I know that says that, that if He saves me, if He has saved me, that He has indeed saved me. That it is Him and it is in His power that He has saved me. I can know that and trust it. 
that God is who he says he is. So, in chapter 48, let's read verse 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. And for the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. So God will be glorified, no matter what. That it is God's intent to be glorified. And all that he does... He does for the sake of his glory. The amazing truth about the sake of his glory, as I've said time and time again, I'll say it again because I want us to get it, is that that leads to our human flourishing. That God's glory leads to us flourishing. I think that is an amazing truth and one that we ought to just really hang on to. Well, let's look back at Acts 7, uh, verses 4 through 8. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. Verse 6, And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I would judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. You see, what was the missing piece? What was the missing piece for those who were making the accusation against Stephen? What was the missing piece for the Jewish people in all of that? As they looked at the law, as they looked at what Moses had done, the one piece that was missing. What do you think that was? Well, I say it was faith. Faith was the missing piece. They thought they could live under the law. But you can't live under the law without faith. You have to have faith that the law will do what it says it's going to do. It's, it was always about faith. Here's the law. But do I have faith? Do I have faith? That the law leads to my human flourishing? To God's glory? If I did, I would be saved. If, because we are justified by faith. It is faith that saves us. It's not adherence to the law. It's faith that what God says about the law is true. That it is about what God says about the law leads to his glory and to our human flourishing. That was the piece that was missing, wasn't it? The piece that was missing was faith. And of course, I would be remiss without looking at Hebrews 11. So if you guys want to get there with me, because again, he's speaking about Abraham. He's speaking about um, who Abraham was to them. And, and he wants them to get back to, to an understanding of the very things that you're hanging on to. These things that you think that, 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 are, that are yours to hang on to, this law that you're trying to be underneath, that law is good and perfect and right, but you've got to understand how Abraham came to it. You've got to understand how was Abraham obedient to the truth of that is this. In chapter 11, verse 8, 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Again, a sojourner, a traveler, one who, this is not your home. Living in tents, that is, again, see, temporary. That his home would not be in a building. His home, his dwelling place is in God. Right? That, that would be the point. With Isaac and Jacob, uh, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose builder, whose designer and builder is God. You see? What, what was it that, that Abraham held on to in the law was that the law indeed is good, that the law leads to my human flourishing, and I take it by faith that the law's purpose is to glorify God and to lead to my own human flourishing, and that is what was accounted as righteousness to Abraham. He was accounted righteous because he believed that what God had given him was for God's glory and for his own human flourishing and for his descendants after him. It was by faith. It was this faith piece that they missed. And you know, we can look here and say this, this parallel for our church, right? Is that this is not our home. This, this place that we are in, it is not our home. We here are just merely travelers, uh, sojourners in a land that isn't ours. If you would, let's flip with me to 1 Peter 2. As you see, this is what was true about Israel, that they were to they were in a dwelling place in a foreign land. They were sojourners in a place that was not their home. The same here is true of us in the church, right? And that, that they were enslaved, it said in Acts chapter 7, that they were captured and enslaved for 400 years in a land that wasn't theirs. When you think about us traveling through this life and in this world, there are things that enslave us. There are things that trap us. Because this is not our world. This is not our home. And the things of the world that are outside of God's intent for us, this, those things that are outside of God's glory that are not leading to our human flourishing, they end up enslaving us. They end up trapping us. And we're trapped in this world. And we need a direct intervention from God. As did the, the Jews. They needed a direct intervention from God. We, in ourselves, we have that direct intervention from God. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. And he intervened in a huge way. In a huge and glorious way. Right? He took our affliction upon himself. A great glorious way. Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 11. He loved... I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. About the glory of God, right? Why would we abstain from the things of the world? For no other reason to abstain from those things, is two things. They wage war against your soul, meaning that they are going to enslave you and entrap you. And secondly, that our conduct then becomes honorable before all the world, that when Christ comes, he would be glorified in your life. That, that's the whole point, right? That's the whole deal. Again, uh, as we look at this, then we think about 
in our flesh, those things, right, that enslave us. There are those things that trap us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. Again, I told you I was going to take you all over the place, and, and I meant that. And, uh, but but there's, a, there's a great point in this as we take it. You see, that in our flesh, that God, we have to remember something. We have to remember something about God, don't we? We have to remember this. That you and I, we are not our own. That you and I were bought, purchased with a price. A heavy price. A heavy, heavy price we were purchased. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a heavy price. And so, should our lives not reflect that we were purchased? That we were that we were bought out of slavery? That we were bought out of this? Like our lives should reflect that. Not for our own glory, though. That our lives should reflect that for the glory of God. As we glorify Him with our lives, with our bodies, with our finances, um, with our relationships, if we glorify God with Him, you know, that byproduct is that it leads to our human flourishing. It makes us better. It grows us up. It doesn't change our circumstances. That, that's one thing I don't want to get this name it and claim it thing. We can't just name it and claim it. Because... It doesn't change necessarily our circumstances. Our circumstances are still tough. Guess, guess what? Because you are a foreigner in a foreign land. This is not your home. The conditions are tough. These conditions are tough. But using those tough conditions to glorify God leads to your human flourishing. It's God's intent is for us to flourish as a people to his glory. Again, so let's look at this in First uh, Corinthians six twenty. It says this clearly: "For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body." Right? You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. All that we do, all that we are, is about emptying ourselves to glorify Him, to magnify God, to tell the truth about God. We tell the truth about God. <laughs> It seems like that's a tough thing to say. I need to tell the truth about God. Well, to tell the truth about God is to tell the story of His salvation for you. That's the truth about God. The truth about God is that you couldn't save yourself, that you would glorify only you. And God says, I came and I saved them for my glory and for my glory alone. So, you might have seen also in this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, a real brief idea of what God was doing in this, in this and what God is doing with us. And see the parallel of the church. Is that God made a covenant with Israel and he gave them an outward sign of commitment to that covenant. He gave them an outward visible sign, not visible to the world, right? That was hidden. But a sign that would be visible to them to remind them of his glory, to remind them of his promise to them. That he had made a covenant with them and that they were to glorify him. See, and the warning is, is that we don't expose the world to the outward sign of the covenant, right? They didn't expose the world to the outward sign of the covenant and say, look at me, I am a Jew set apart by God. No, they would say that the whole intent, I would say that the whole intent was always this. Is that by your outward life you should bear evidence of an inward change that expresses in itself an outward demonstration of God's grace. And that outward demonstration 
of God's grace magnifies the glory of God. That's the intent, to magnify the glory of God and an outward expression of His grace to you. Manifested itself in the world is what magnifies the glory of God. And I see a parallel in baptism, right? We could take and, and, and baptize ourselves and, and be baptized in the church and then walk around and say, you know, I'm a baptized Christian. And so therefore I'm okay, right? And, and that's, look at me, I'm a baptized Christian. Now I can live however I want to. Because I'm a baptized Christian. I have the sign. I have made the outward impression to the world that I am indeed one who belongs to God because I have been baptized, right? I can do that. But that symbol is meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless unless it is outwardly demonstrated to the glory of God. It's absolutely meaningless if you don't live your life underneath the truth that we were crucified with Christ. That the old man was to be reckoned dead. And that we rose as he has risen from the grave. That as we uh, participate in the waters of baptism. That we then are now living a new life. A life set apart, set out to demonstrate God's good grace to the world. That he alone is glorified. And we get the wonderful byproduct of the fact that it leads to our human flourishing. That is the truth. That is the word of God for us today. So if you would, would you, where you sit, if God has maybe spoken to your heart, and if there's things there in the word, let, let's just quietly sort of do a little bit of business uh, with God. Let's not let this word just pass us by. Let's own this. But dear God, I thank you so much. Uh, for your saving grace. I thank you so much for your son Jesus, for the atoning work of Christ in my life that, that you have paid for my sin in full. I am thankful for that, Lord. I am thankful for the truth of your word. I am thankful that it is meant for your glory. And that, Lord, that, that as we in our lives glorify you, that, that it leads to our human flourishing, that it leads to us to our benefit. Uh, and, and then as we benefit from you, guess what we do? We even glorify you further. And so, Lord, I give you thanks for that. I pray that this morning that there's one here that for the first time says, uh, I want to participate in the glory of God. I want to participate in his grace. I want to be a part of who he is. I want to appropriate the fact that he came and he died for me. That he came and died for me. That he gave me the truth of his word and that I might live that I might live to his glory. I, I pray this morning that if you've drawn that one person or, or, or multiple people here this morning, that you would do business with their heart, that they would honestly confess and repent of their sins towards you and that you would receive them uh, unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.